Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Greetings from the Hill Country of Central Texas. This is Revolution of Military Affairs, and I'm your host, Amos Fox. All right, today on the podcast, we have Steve Leonard. Uh, most of you may know him by his uh, nom de guerre, if you will, Doctrine Man. Uh, and he has done great work with the Doctrine Man persona for, I don't know, what, almost 20 years now. And it's been a, a very useful uh, thing for folks that that lived through the global war on terrorism, uh, Guat, if you will, um, because it gave a voice to a lot of us that, uh, that didn't have a voice. So before I get going with some questions for you, Steve, I just want to say thank you for coming on today and give me a little bit of your time. Hey, I'm glad to be here, Amos. Thanks for having me. First question, I suppose, is why did you start Doctrine Man? So that's a question I, I, I answer probably every time I do one of these. Somebody will ask why. And it was <laughs> to say it was an accident is probably the best way to, to put it. Uh, it all, it's how it started. It was a way to vent after, uh, I think we came out of OIF one and cartooning became a way of venting. I didn't feel comfortable, um, writing about some of the experiences that, that I had, which we all share. It's the same kind of frustrations. Yeah. And so cartooning was a way to kind of bring out some of the uh, inaneness of what we had to deal with on a daily basis. And then I would share that with a small group, along with some articles on professional development, just little things. And um, it was just something that went out on an email distribution list. And then uh, people would say, hey, add Amos or add somebody over here. And one day I get this thing that says, hey, this is too big for a distribution list. You need to, we can't do this. I thought, well, what the hell am I going to do? Well, I'll look at Facebook. I could probably do something on Facebook. And so I started to put it out on Facebook. And it grows and it grows and it grows and the influence spreads um, and it becomes the home 
uh, for it. And so Dr. Man, which really became, was really started as a venting mechanism, a way to vent and a way to kind of share uh, experiences uh, and lessons learned became what it is today. And then just it has continued to grow until it's where it is now. It's about between, I think between platforms, it's probably pushing 300,000 people. So it's doing okay. Yeah, that's not bad. Not too shabby. I would, uh, I would, uh, I would be happy with three hundred thousand uh, listeners to this podcast. Maybe yeah, we'll you there. say the, that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's all sorts of problems that come with that too. On a personal level, I found Doctor and Man. It, it gave a voice to a lot of us that were struggling with a lot of the nonsense that was going on during the the uh, I, the early days of Guat, but then I guess the whole period throughout that, depending on how you bracket that. And I always found it as a uh, almost before subtweeting was a thing. It was the way to subtweet your feelings towards your boss, the institution, whatever. And I think many people started to find Dr. Man almost as a I hate this phrase, but is is the voice of a generation uh, for Guat veterans, at least during that time. Uh, Have you found that to be the case? And if so, how does it feel to be the voice of a generation? Well, you know, I was uh, about, oh God, probably about 15 years ago uh, was the first time I ever realized how much this had spread. And um, my boss and I had gone to the Pentagon and we were coming back, uh, flying back. And he says, you know, I knew you did this cartoon, but I didn't realize until I walked through the Pentagon what it was. And he said, I saw cartoons in every single cubicle in the Army G3. And, and he's like, he asked the same question. He goes, how does that feel? And I said, it doesn't feel like anything because it's not, you know, it, it is what it is. It's, uh, I don't think yeah. like that. Um, I guess I guess it's like you try to do good. You try to do something that makes a difference for people. Um, and then you just let it go at that, right? Uh, so I've never really thought about the numbers or the influence. Um you get little reminders every once in a while because after doing it for as long as I have, there's always the the option to sunset this and just say, hey, you know what? I think I'm actually going to go yeah. live my life now. And somebody will send you a note and say, oh, Amos, man, this changed my life. You, uh, I'm so thankful for you doing it. And you're like, ah, shit, okay, I'll keep doing it. And then it happens <laughs> like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, just, it just continues to go and go and uh, – you know, it's, it's, it's fun and it's, it's, it's rewarding in its own way. And so, you know, when my wife sees me get up at five o'clock in the morning, come in here, work through everything for about an hour and then hit the gym. I, you know, she's used to that. This is her normal. It's our normal. And it'll continue to be our normal, I think for at least a couple more years. Yeah. Early on, did you ever, did you ever get in trouble when a boss or someone found out that it was you? Cause I know for a while it was a secret on who this was. Um, did it, did it ever come back in any kind of negative uh, way? Not in a negative way per se. There's two stories that go with this. Um, and it was, the, it was secrecy was only a secret. If you didn't know me, if you knew me personally, you mm-hmm. knew because there was no secret to it at all. My bosses always knew but you get outside that periphery and you didn't necessarily know. And um, so like there's two stories that go with this. One was um, when uh, when uh, uh, General Dempsey was the TRADOC commander, he literally stood his CPG down for a week 
to try to figure out who I was. And the only reason I knew was I had one of my, a, a former a guy that I'd worked with, uh, a fellow strategist who was on that group, but he would text me and he'd be like, yeah. we're sitting around war gaming, there's slides. Uh, you know, it's all we're doing this week. And at the end of the week, somebody finally put it together and said, Oh God, of course it's him. <laughs> it, it is there's the voice. Everything's consistent. And the other, the other story was uh, we were at uh, Wheeler Airport in downtown Kansas City one time uh, meeting uh, General Odierno. And uh, I was doing what I always do. So I sat in the back with my little green notebook and I took notes and you know, tried, to, tried to keep a low profile. And uh, he's talking, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I'm only partially paying attention. And then I hear him say, this better not end up in a cartoon. And everybody in the room turns and looks <laughs> at me. And, and I'm like, holy cow, okay, the chief knows. And that's cool. Yeah. That's good. Never got in trouble, yeah. though. Um, I think there's an article you can see behind me. There's like there's uh, three mm-hmm. coins on the wall, and then next to it is the New York Times article. That's probably the only time I ever got in trouble was the New York Times ran a story about Dr. Man once. And, and I did an interview and I didn't tell anybody. Uh, how do you ask yeah. for permission to do a New York Times article? I'm not going to ask the PAO, yeah. although I told the PAO, hey, look, this is what I'm doing. He's like, yeah, it's cool. No problem. And then it showed up and, and uh, there was a little bit of, hey, don't do those kind of interviews without telling us. I'm like, yeah, I told the PAO. So hmm. I'm like, what else am I supposed to do, right? Yeah. Um, but never got in any trouble. And, and usually, you know, you don't get in trouble if you don't cross a certain line. So you can be humorous. Um, mm-hmm. you, you just you just don't cross certain lines. You don't attack people. Um, you carry yeah. yourself with some dignity online. Uh, just a basic kind of stuff that would, you know, hey, if I'm going to be a professional, I'm going to act professional, regardless of whether I'm in an anonymous uh, state or not. You know, I am going to be who I am, and yeah. I'm going to maintain the standards of our profession. Uh, so you mentioned the the thing about people trying to find you out. What's funny is when I was at Leavenworth for CGSC, there was a post that Doctor and Man had done, and it was a picture of a bo- the box of books that came out with I think it was the operations uh, manuals that came out in that time, like the 2017 time period. And so I was scouring the building, trying to find that box of books sitting on the floor. Cause it was a picture of them on the floor. And I was trying to find it. Cause I didn't know who doctrine man was at this time. And I'm like, he's somewhere in the building. I've got to find him. But if you know, Lewis and Clark center, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's impossible. Um, so, uh, a quick question on, you mentioned uh, behavior online. Just a quick question on your thoughts of the state of mill Twitter and what's happened to it over the past two years. Two years, probably the last ten years. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's one of those things that um, this is tough, and I I think that I, I used to describe mill Twitter as a burn barrel at midnight in the middle <laughs> of a fob. And that um, you don't know who's around that burn barrel because it's dark and all you see is the fire. And yeah. and I would tell people, hey, like if you're going to go to Mill Twitter and deal with all these anonymous you know accounts and ask questions, and I'm like you could be asking advice from the private that you gave an Article 15 to and kicked out of the army. And you don't <laughs> know right. because we're not going to tell you. 
and they're thinking, oh, hey, I'm going to get, I'm going to get Amos, Fo- I'm going to get Captain Fox. That guy kicked me out. I'm going to give yep. him the worst possible advice humanly you know, available. So it's like, okay, you just got to understand that, you know, um, be careful who you engage with and how you engage. Um, because mill Twitter is literally, it is a burn barrel and you just don't know what's going on around it or in it. So, you know, keep your distance from it. I mean, that's, I've always found it a fascinating thing. I just don't engage it if I can avoid it just because I don't know yeah. who's there. I like that analogy. That's really good. I'm going to have to steal that one. That's uh. Uh, that, that that one's perfect, I think. Um, so with that, I think I, I'm interested in knowing how you went about or if it was intentional. How did you go about building your brand? Uh, because in, in, in the marketing and business world, building a brand is a big deal. And clearly, you've got a good brand. Was that an intentional thing or was it just a gradual evolution of continuing the process? It was, it was very intentional. Um, hmm. And I can say that from... Um, when I was when I was a lieutenant colonel, I ran an office of strategic communications. So I had PAOs working for me, strategists working for me, information ops guys working for me. And as part of that, there was a lot of branding work that went on. And that was kind of the culmination of like that assignment was a culmination of about two or three years of work focusing on brands, but organizational brands. And so yeah. Doctrine Man existed. But I became very deliberate, and this was probably around 2009 or so, became very deliberate about, okay, how do I maintain this brand? Um, You know, it's got to have a symbol to it. It's got to have a culture behind it. Uh, It's got to be consistent. Um, And this actually turned into, I spend a lot of time talking talking to people about personal branding. And, and how uh, the thought goes behind that and what you do to maintain a brand and that your brand is literally what people say about you when you're not in the room. It's kind of like your reputation, right? So everything that you do feeds that brand. Um, and if you're inconsistent, if, you, um, if you're one of those people that has a hard time uh, living by their values, uh, doing what you living like you say. So I say one thing, I, I live another thing. You've got to be consistent. You've got to be dependable. You, that, that's the kind of brand that you want, whether you're an organization or an individual. Um, and you want that, uh, that consistency is what people buy into. It's the inconsistency that people, um, don't buy into or start to question or, you know, honestly, if you have a shaky brand that you don't, you aren't that consistent individual or you get outside the bounds of our professional values, you're going to attract a different kind of customer to your brand that maybe you don't want to hang out with. And and when you realize that, Hey, I've got all these malcontents that yeah. just love me to death. <laughs> well, maybe you don't want those malcontents to love you to They've death. Cult- right? Cultivated the wrong yeah. The wrong target population. There was, a, well, there was a lot of intention behind that. Um, but I think the same thing goes with, you know, what you do uh, professionally, what you do personally, all that plays into it. Um, you know, your brand is your reputation and, your, you know, how people view you and talk about you. And, you know, if you want a good brand, then you've got to put the effort into it. And if you don't care about your brand, well, you know, your brand's still going to exist. It just might not be a very good one. One point on brand and consistency. I always enjoyed when the cartoons had the uh, the cavalryman and the cowboy hat as an armor guy. That was always chap. my favorite. Almost always had his chaps on too. Yeah, and uh, I when I was a troop commander back at uh, when I worked at the armor school, 
uh, during our training meetings, we had we had to make like an intro slide, and I always had a variation of of that guy coming in, and that was always how I I let in with my training meeting slides was <laughs> one variation of that. And I'm pretty sure at one point you also had a black horse because uh, for folks who don't know, the 11th oh, yeah. Armored Cavalry Regiment has a different colored um, Stetson. It's not even a Stetson, different colored hat. And uh, I was a tank company commander with Black Horse, and that was before I was at the armor school. So I used to put that one in there specifically just to, to poke the, the squadron uh, commander a little bit because he'd get a little irritated. I'm like, oh, sir, it's doctrine, man. It's not me, you know? Oh, my God. But, uh, and yeah, you know, that- there's always somebody who does that. You can be oh, yeah. at the most non-army, non-cav location, and somebody's going to come in with Stetson, with a Stetson and Spurs. Yep. Or or we're looking tanker boots that aren't cool, and you're like, really? <laughs> oh, there's, <laughs> Steve, they're super else? cool. I've got uh, a great pair of cab boots, 14 inches. They look beautiful. There you go. Yeah. Early on, I, uh, when, we, when we first made the shift to the brown boots, the, the, getting good tank boots was impossible. And you could see yeah. that. The people would get tanker boots, and they looked all goofy because they'd be short. And it's mm-hmm. like, those, those don't look like tanker boots. They look like weird desert boots uh it doesn't work yeah the uh what, what's last thing on on cab tanker boots before we move on <laughs> didn't Sorry. expect to go down that rabbit hole but uh <laughs> when i was at the career course i had i was wearing my my cab boots one day and again 14 inch boots uh tiny straps you know like the the tall boots with the skinny straps and my instructor said something to the effect of his wife had boots like mine and I said, yeah, but I bet mine cost a lot more than your wife's. Um, and that shut them up pretty quick. <laughs> you get those those legit calf boots from Daner. They ain't cheap. I can tell you that. Uh, I'd be yeah. wondering so if your wife had boots like those. Uh, no, my wife doesn't. My wife wears flip-flops. So she's, yeah. uh, she's a hillbilly from southern Indiana. <laughs> oh, God. Um, All right. That I was a <laughs> Yeah, that sure was. All right. Back, back on task here. So um, – I'm going to go ahead and shift off the ship off, shift off of doctrine man now and talk a bit about uh, strategy and strategist since that's uh, that's what you uh, did for a good portion of your career in the army. Um, so I guess I really have like three general questions on that and I'll start with the first and then we'll go down that, that list. But what is strategy to you? Oh God. You know, and, and that's a horrible question because I teach this stuff. I, know. I, can, have, <laughs> I can have an answer right off the cuff. Um, yeah, it is literally being able to take a long view and over the horizon yep. view of your environment and make sound decisions that anticipate um, changes in that environment. That, that's probably the most succinct way I can put it. And when I teach it, do you know, remember the old uh, PowerPoint slide from hell that showed Afghanistan and all the different things? Spaghetti so I do that for undergraduate students, and I mm. tell them this is a PowerPoint chart from hell, but what this does is it tries to put in one picture what a competitive environment looks like. So yeah. it's accurate. And you have to be able to make informed decisions within that environment and understand that everything that you do is going to be countered uh, in some way. And you have to be able to look at all the actors within that environment and everybody who's playing in there and organizations and understand that, that there are no decisions made in isolation. And, and that's where we start from. And they look at that chart and it's just, there's such a horrible chart, 
Like oh, yeah. that's the world and that's how complex the world is. And you have to get through that world. And as a strategist, you have to figure out how to cut through all that and get to the other side um, intact. And that's not easy. And that takes a lot of, a lot of thinking and a lot of study and, and a lot of- Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST work the one slide thing is uh, i got a great anecdotal story on that too when i was working in the j5 i was the um uh, what was i the campaign planner not the campaign the strategic plans officer for cj flick oir and it, this was towards the end of at the end of mosul you know things are wrapping up there and i'm in charge of planning we were given this directive to do a drawdown and shift a bunch of stuff over to afghanistan and our DCG um, was a British guy, and he, he says he comes in the J5, and we used to always joke it was like uh, Darth Vader when his aide would walk in. It was like Darth Vader coming into the J5. Um, <laughs> and there was two of us in there that actually did any work. There was like 14 people in there, but he either normal, went to one yeah. or, me or, yeah, me or the other guy. And uh, and so it was always this moment of freeze when he would walk in the door. You're like, oh, God, we're at choice. He's going to break, you know, because if you broke to the <laughs> left, he was going to the other guy. If you broke to the right, he was coming to me. And so it was always like, you know, the, the, like we, uh, it was either Darth Vader or the, uh, the Grim Reaper is, is what we always equated it to. Nonetheless, he comes to me, he's like, hey, DCG wants to talk to you. You know, so I go in there and talk to him. And he's like, okay, I want this. I want one chart that shows every, everything in Iraq to include weapon systems, you know, like big systems like HIMARS and all this and all that. And, you know, number of people at all the bases and all this. And I was like, sir, do you understand what you're asking for? Uh, that's going to be a slide you cannot read. And he's like, you're Sam's guy. You're a smart guy. Go figure oh, it out. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so, and then the best part, this is like 10 o'clock at night, right? He's like, uh, I want to see you at eight in the morning tomorrow. And I'm yep. like, oh, sweet. And so I do what you do. You know, I stayed up all night. I made two sets of charts though. I made the chart he asked for, which you couldn't see. It was like four point font, you know? And then, uh, and then, you know, with the map of Iraq behind it, and then I made like, a, you know, a, a little bit bigger deck, like six slides that showed by region where things were. And so I go in there the next morning and he, this is, this is great too. So you get there at eight o'clock, you know, and he doesn't show up till 10 and yeah, you can't just get up and leave. <laughs> yeah. So you just sitting there in front of his office, you know, waiting, waiting, waiting. And then, uh, he finally shows up, you go in there. You give him the slide and he's like, what the hell is this? You know? And I was like, sir, I told you, you wouldn't be able to read it. And he like throws it and starts cussing at me. And I'm like, sir, how about these? You know? And we sit down and talk about it. And it was just, 
you know, it's funny because like when people want to know that level of detail in one thing, it's 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 insurmountable amounts of information. And so I think that's an important thing to, to appreciate when we're talking about strategy. But also when you ask somebody to go make you a slide about something very complex. Oh, um, so with that said, what are your thoughts on what is a strategist? What's a real strategist versus somebody that has the title strategist? Because sometimes those two things don't uh, don't cohere so what is it in your mind that makes a strategist actually a strategist? So um, I, I can I can name names of people that I know are good strategists because they're people who can wrap their heads around the complexity and then cut through it. Um, so mm-hmm. what you described is a good example of a strategist, somebody who you, know, you can look at all the mess and all the chaos and I'm going to cut through it and I'm going to make it as simple as possible for somebody else to understand, because you, you know, you can look at that first chart, which is in four pitch font, and and yeah. you can make sense of it. Nobody else can, yeah. but you can. Uh, so you have to figure out, and that's what the job of a strategist is: how to cut that down to something somebody can understand, and then make it executable. And so I use uh, when I teach, I use an example of this, um, the difference, and I teach my students to. To, to do business strategy, but we do some different things. We use a lot of military documents. We work through some yeah. different things, um, a lot of exercise and practice, because I'm a big believer that you have to have the practitioner's hand. So you do a little bit of war gaming. We actually play risk in class and we do speed yeah. risk. Um, and I rewrote the whole rule book. So everybody, every team has different mm-hmm. advantages and different, different disadvantages. And you don't know what they are up front. You have to figure them out. Um, mm-hmm. But it's the get your hands into it, do it. And so in that class, for the first two years, three years, I taught strategy. We used a textbook. And I finally convinced the other faculty to get rid of the textbook because you could hold the textbook up and I could say this was written by somebody who's never had to practice the craft. He yeah. doesn't know how to solve a problem. He doesn't understand the complexity. It's all simple causality. It's all black and yeah. white. There's no nuance to it. And, it's yeah. good, and there's nothing in there on the backside about how you implement strategy, how you assess strategy, how you how you do in-stride changes, uh, mm-hmm. nothing. It's like, here's the 10 things you have to know, and I got them in 10 chapters, and <laughs> I make a million bucks off my shitty textbook. Um <laughs> And I'm like, I can teach you more just from a practitioner's perspective. Uh, and, and that that really has to go into it. Um, there's just, um, you know, I'm reading a book right now that's not a new book. Uh, it's Strategic Intuition by William Duggan. And I, mm. it's from 2007. Great book, but it's one of those books that we, we should have read in Sam's. Because, you know, where we talked about, you know, he even starts, he talks about Malcolm Gladwell and Blink and how, you know, you go through that process. But his his thing is Blink is really good when you've got the strength of the mental models behind you to just kind of blink and intuitively know what to do. The strategic intuition is when you see something completely new and you don't know what to do. And then you do something like. I'm going to go sleep on it or I'm going to go have a cup of coffee and you wait for your brain, which is trained to start to draw the neural connections until that intuition, which is a different intuition than the type that Gladwell talks about that kind of intuition kicks in. And and then, so his initial, um, 
anecdote is talking about when you wake up in the morning and go, God, hey, I figured it out. Or, or you're mowing the lawn and you're like, ah, I got yeah. it. Those aha moments that are different than just the blink kind of thing where you have to really yeah. let your mind loose. Fascinating read. And it's not very long. It's probably yeah, 100, 150 pages long. It's cheap. Oh, okay. You get 10 bucks on yeah, Amazon. The examples you said are good ones. I often, I don't know if you can see the the, the metals on my wall, but oh, I'm a big... Uh, <laughs> I'm a big runner. I used to be fast uh, until <sighs> I've, I've had like three foot surgeries in the past couple of years. Uh, but I used to be fast and I used to run distance pretty fast too. And that's where I would do a lot of that. You know, I wouldn't go into anything with a plan. And then by the end of my run, I'd be, or while I'm running, I'd pull out yep. my phone and start like send, to sending myself a blank email, you know, while I'm running. I used to do that a lot at Leavenworth. A lot of the papers that I wrote when I was in CGSC and Sam's were the result of that. I'd be running that which is running at Leavenworth is absolutely awful, by the way. I didn't, I didn't, before I got there, I didn't realize how hilly Leavenworth was. <laughs> oh man. Run around the golf course in here. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that, that's not that. too bad. But what you're describing is exactly the process that uh, Duggan talks about. And it's something mm-hmm. that we f- kind of figure out that I don't stress when I face a problem that I don't, I don't understand and I haven't seen before. I, I just let the yeah. process happen. I let my mind do its thing because I know eventually my mind is going to come back and say, hey, I got it. Yeah. And it might not be for a day. It might be for an hour, whatever. Um, you know, it'll pop. It'll say, there you go. Got it. There's a, there's an interesting, um, and I, I don't know what the, the science is on it, but there's also an interesting thing that goes along with that too. Like on my, for me personally, I'm not a good, I'm not a good uh, current ops person for that reason. I'm the, I've got to go like go for a run or I'm going to go step out. Like you said, and get a cup of coffee and just sit around and, and yeah. uh, stare at the wall for a bit. But like co-ops type situations for me personally, I, I don't do well because my mind doesn't work like that. And so it's just like, here's all these things. And I'm like, I don't know what to do, you know? Uh, and so I think that that's an important thing to understand when we think about like people and talent management, yeah. whether it's in the military or not, you know, you have to understand the kind of people you have and how their minds work. And sometimes you have to, you know, when you see somebody like, oh, give me a minute, I'm going to go walk around and, you know, just because my hair is not on fire doesn't mean I'm not worried about the yeah. problem. And I think that that's something that's, that's important when we think about, you know, strategy and strategists and how to handle things strategically. It's something uh, to keep in mind. So we're getting close on time surprisingly so i'm going to start go. uh start wrapping up here this has felt like it's been like a two-minute conversation right but, real quick, another wild card question for you here's here's i'm not going to lead the witness i'm going to ask the question then come back to my my answer <laughs> sam's is it a planner school no it's a leadership school uh and, and that was drilled into us by both Robin Swan, who was a director when I started, mm. and Jim Greer, who picked up about halfway yep. in. It's a leadership school. That you happen to pick up the thinking skills that um, – or it hones the thinking skills that you need to be a planner. So really – and, and it, it, it is. If you, if you think about it on the backside, the numbers will tell you that – the, the, the graduates of SAMS go take command at a higher rate. They move on to different leadership positions, positions of influence at a higher rate. Um, it just gives you those deep thinking skills, uh, those higher order thinking skills that you need to be more effective as a leader. Um, and it's, I would tell students that went through my graduate program in Leavenworth uh, on organizational leadership that 
here's the thing is you're you're making that transition from direct to organizational leadership and it's different and you have to be able to think differently you have to be able to react differently there's different expectations and I would never say this. I got to close the office door here. Here comes the wife. Um, I would never say this, but I don't think CGSE does a terrific job of preparing you for that. Um, CGSE is a great course, but we've cut out so much of the, the, the deep leadership pieces of that, that you needed to have in there to make that jump that a school like Sam's was gold. Because, you know, you learn to take in those massive amounts of information, distill those things down into what counts, um, practice a lot, interact a lot, challenge each other a lot, deal with a lot tougher feedback, the kind of things that you get when you get out in the field. And then understanding that people lean on you more. Because if you're just your average everyday CGSE graduate, God bless them. Nobody's going to walk up to them and say, hey, I need you to sort out the entire theater in one slide. No, yeah, they're right. going to come to you as the Sam's guy and say, hey, I need you to do that. But don't you dare put it in four pitch font because I'll come back and throw it at you. Um, but there's different expectations. There's different asks. Um, and as you probably found out, as long as you stick around, that education follows you. Um, oh, yeah. Every senior leader wants to surround themselves with capable people, and that Sam's pedigree opens doors that nothing else will. And and honestly, when I made the jump to higher ed, uh, that meant more than my graduate degree. Uh, oh, I've heard of that school. That's a cool school. Yeah. I want you on my staff, or I want you to teach yeah. here. Um, and it separates you. Uh, yeah. And it continues to separate you. I would say that my Sam's education is why I'm a member of the school's leadership today. It's it's you know it's a way of thinking. It's a way of dealing with things, sorting through stuff. It's just different. And I and I, and I would honestly st- always stand by it's a leadership school. Yeah, I agree. You said the answer I wanted to hear. So good job. Yeah, the one of the things that I think is important, and this isn't. I don't somehow we're discussing Sam, so I'll keep going with it real quick. But one of the things that I always loved about Sam's, and again, it's all dependent on who your professor is and who your other, you know, instructor is. And we had at the beginning the first exercise we had. Uh, Dr. Schifferly and oh, uh, who recently passed. Yeah. And he, uh, you know, we're, I'm the whatever, I was the deputy or assistant OPT lead, right? And so we're up there briefing this thing. And yeah, this is the first exercise. So it's like the end of the first week of Sam's. And, uh, you know, the, the, the guy that's in charge of the briefing gets up there and starts doing the normal, like, I'm going to talk to you in circles, but I don't have anything to say thing. And Schifferly just like, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> stonewalled him. And then I also love too my instructor, um, uh, uh, Jim Powell, um, the strategist. I don't know if you know him or not. Yeah. He's teaching now at the the Air War College. Um, he was terrific. And one of the things he would always say, you'd see, you knew you were in trouble when he kind of leaned back in his chair and put his hand on his on his lower <laughs> lip and started rubbing his chin. And he's like, and one of the things he would always say is, and I'm going to butcher it now that I'm trying to actually say it verbatim. On what basis are you making that assertion? And every time after like the first two times when I would try and like blow smoke uh, his way and I got that in return, I would always think through that before I started talking. And then I would always think through that as I was working on my project, like when I have to do this, you know, whatever it is, this presentation to the team 
he's going to sit there and he's going to lean back and be like, on what basis are you making this assertion? And if you didn't have information, you know, that was factual or whatever, you know, it was, you didn't pass. And so I always found that to be like one of the most tangible benefits for me was, was that. And I always instill in my mind, I've actually taken that phrase and I use it quite a bit myself uh, on, uh, and when I'm in similar situations on the other side, last thing before we go, I'm going to talk one more time about that slide uh, that I had to make in Iraq. This is, I think you'll appreciate this. Uh, So when we talk about sands and mind games, um, (laughs) so as I was working on this slide with this guy, this became like a week long project. And, uh, and again, it was the same thing every day, you know, it'd be like 10 o'clock at night. He'd be like, Oh, I want this done. And you're like, okay. And then you'd show up at eight the next morning and he wouldn't be there. And so they go to this trip, they go on this trip down to Kuwait. They talk to CJTF. There's this big thing. He comes back and it's like, Hey, I saw this one, the slide that I saw down there that I really like, and I want you to recreate it. And so he draws it in his notebook for me. And then he writes specifically, he writes specifically in the top right corner, dividend. And he's like, I want to know the dividend. And because it was, again, like, what are we losing versus what are we gaining? You know, what is Afghanistan picking up versus, you know, what are we losing? And so I made his slide specifically the way that he wanted it. And it was a very stripped down slide with just, you know, high Mars. There's, you know, X number. There's X number going. Dividend, whatever. But uh, just to poke him, when I took the slide, (laughs) when I took the slide to him, I wrote difference at the top right corner instead of dividend. Because he specifically told me to write dividend. Man, he lost his mind. <laughs> oh, it was so good. Um, but that was like, you know, the subtle uh, subversion campaign being played there with, uh, with the big boss. Or you big have bosses. to do that. They're, they're, you, yeah. I think you have to do those kinds of things just to maintain sanity. Yeah. Well, that's what's funny because the guys loved it too. The guys in the J5, I t- you know, I was like, he wants it to say this and I'm going to go in and it's going to say that. I can't wait to see how much he blows up on me. You know, and I came back and I was like, man, <laughs> he blew up. <laughs> oh, it's so good. All right. Well, Steve, thank you very much for your time. I will, uh, uh, I guess that's it. It's a, uh, it's been a pleasure. It, you know, it's been 30 something minutes here, but it feels like it's oh, been yeah. about two. So thank you very much. <laughs> and, uh, hopefully we can talk again soon. Sounds good.